back to 1290 CJBK. My name is Dan Gall, and it is time for left, right, and center. And on the right is Bob Metz. On the left, uh, Marion has not arrived yet. Whether she's coming or not, I'm not too sure, Bob. I mean, we're having... It might be just right and center today. It might. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> center right. Um, so, I mean, I, wait, I, you know the, the show. center? Do you, do, you, do you feel like you're in the center? <laughs> Center shot. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right in the middle. Okay. Right in the middle. I mean, Marion is great for her takes. You're great with uh, with uh, your takes and just kind of facilitate, if you will. Uh, however, our numbers are 643-1290. Star-1290 on the Canton Network. If you would like to uh, bring up some something that we haven't discussed this morning or something that we have discussed this morning and would like some more... Uh, Clarity, just so that you know, and, and, and let you know, this morning we were talking about uh, the Supreme Court decision that lap, uh, lap dancing is not all that uh, uh, of an issue, and that it could negate the city bylaw if challenged. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about a little bit about that this morning. Uh, but I wanted to ask you right off the start, because we were pretty much consumed last week with the Northern Alliance slash police story. Mm -hmm. And I haven't seen much about that story um, this week. And I was wondering if you had heard or have any more information with regards to the Northern Alliance and, and the police issue. Well, a few things have been happening. Uh, the only public thing so far was uh, Rory Leishman's article on the subject last Friday, I believe. And uh, in which he sort of chastised both sides in the debate, uh, chastised the Northern Alliance for expressing what he called racist points of view and chastised the police for bothering to worry about it in, mm. in, in, in the broader sense. Um, I've also been called by one of the reporters at the Free Press who was in contact with David Tabushi's office in Toronto um, inquiring about their response to our letter asking what are the list of extreme right and left-wing points of view that we can expect a visit from the police from if we hold them and a few other questions attendant to that and apparently he tells me that uh, they won't release anything to the papers the papers have to get it through us because I know they consider it a confidential matter or something like this just because it was on letterhead or something I don't know what they're trying to avoid right now but he's told me his impression was that they're gonna try and take a hands-off of this situation and then throw it back into the local arena which I find quite alarming because that would leave us in, in, in pursuit of a political answer to have to go to the police for that answer. And I don't think the police is the proper place to have to get political questions answered, if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. Mm -hmm. And um, why they're ducking this, I don't know. We'll have to wait until we see Tabushi's letter and see where that takes us. And um, I do know that, uh, what's it, Raphael? Bergman, the, the gentleman who was accused of being the leader of this group, is uh, going to have a column appear in the free press in rebuttal form, I understand, uh, to some of the things that Rory Leishman wrote about and clarifying some of the things about the Northern Alliance that, and about himself that he wants the public to know. Hmm. So uh, that's what you can... That's, that's the quick update over the last How week. How did you get involved in this? These guys just walked in the door on, on, on the Monday after... Uh, after the Sunday that they were supposed to be at the police station. And I guess they kind of got worried and wondered, gee, maybe they're going to come after us. We better look around for some help. Mm -hmm. um, they came into my door. It's the first time I met either of them. Um, and they seemed genuinely concerned and not the, you know, if they really were the things that the police were 
were accusing of them, I'd be very suspicious of someone coming in and wanting to tell everybody everything about what they did. And, um, you know, certainly the material that Rory Leishman referred to in his article on Friday was supplied by them to, to him. They weren't hiding anything from him. They were showing him, look, here's, here's some of the stuff we printed. And, uh, but please let the public know why, which unfortunately Rory re really didn't get into, and that's what he's going to explain in his rebuttal. Two things on that, then, mm -hmm. with the Northern Alliance. Accused of uh, criminal activity, have you mm -hmm. found any at all? None. In fact, there, I've had a few other letters sent to me, uh, assigned by other people who are, who are quite, who also got the letter, I guess, but, but who are quite nervous about even coming forth with it, because they've got jobs to protect, they've got families, and, and they're just going about their lives. And, um, you know, one of them provided me with his RCMP search thing, you know, that tells you whether you have a criminal record or not, and it came up blank. And, and like, they're really going out of their way to show, look, we're not criminals. There might be someone in this whole chain of people who got a letter who might have a criminal record. How I'm many sure. letters were distributed? Well, the police said seven or eight, um, although they said that they have identified 20 people as members of this group. Uh, one of the recipients of that letter got three copies, all, in, all three different names addressed to the same address. Because you see, the interesting thing about how this was done was that the letters themselves do not name the person. What they do is they name member of the Northern Alliance, and the name of the individual who's being served was only handwritten on the covering police envelope that was around the letter. So the police kind of, they seem to know that they're walking a very fine line here, that they can't really serve a, a warrant on somebody that they don't have anything on other than what they say is their beliefs. Yes, but you're saying that the letters that were, were, that were mailed or, or hand presented, hand-delivered, they had one person received three letters in the mm -hmm. same house mm -hmm. under the same name or different names? No, different names. And he said one of them was his brother's name, another one who has nothing to do with any of this. Another one was another resident in the home or something, but I, I didn't get too much details on that. That was just what he was telling so me. So is or could the Northern Alliance be an organization or alliance of more than seven or eight people? I don't get the impression it's an alliance of any sort. There's only, uh, right now, there's three or four people who are concerned enough to come forward and, and tell me about this. And, and who are, I'm not the only person they've gone to. They have taken their complaint to the police department. They've taken their complaint to uh, various other lobby groups and, and, uh, and advocacy groups that are very concerned about uh, the growing encroachment on the way the police are doing things in this country lately. So it's not just us that's going to be involved with it. All right, so, so as far as you know, you have not been party to any or, in, or been informed of any criminal activity by the Northern Alliance? None. And, and when somebody's willing to go on record and, and be pu published in the paper and say, listen, I haven't got a criminal record, please show me where it is. I mean, that's a pretty... And, and, you know. and has this Raphael been um, described as the leader or just a yes. member? No, he's, he's, he, he's the organizer. He's the guy that, that, that put the, the newsletters together. And these newsletters that they put together were for their meetings only. They were not distributed in the mail or anything like that. Like, we're talking maximum print run of about 17. You know, give me a break. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and they have contradictory articles in them. The article that Rory picked, for example, on Friday to criticize was criticizable. And Raphael will be the first to tell you, yeah, it was racism. It's crap. And but, you, but the article on the, on the end page was one that was exactly the opposite tone, opposite opinion on everything. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's 
these, these are just young people who were looking for some kind of political outlet and not finding it out there. And this is one of the things that has disturbed me on a broader scale, not with extremist groups or anything, but I guess youth in general, is, is, is a sense of loss. Like the, They just don't know where to look for answers, and they're feeling more and more alienated. They realize they're inheriting a debt that none of us ever dreamt of and that's it's growing cumulatively and it's going to have an effect on their future and and more people today feel gloomy about the future than they did like in the 50s or 60s before we had all these wonderful social programs that were supposed to save us from the problems we had in the 50s and 60s hmm. so uh, you know these, so where do they look they look they know that what they're hearing from the from the mainline parties and government isn't what they want to hear so they start finding all these other groups and they go they go exploring and then they find out that oh this idea that i'm exploring right now is illegal i'm not supposed to know about this and then then the curiosity gets even deeper mm -hmm. because the minute something is is uh, taboo or not uh, you know socially acceptable the next thing people do is they want to find out more about it because, uh, you know, historically, censorship has always been about censoring the truth in a lot of ways. And this is one of the most scary things that's happening in our country today is the truth is no longer being allowed as a defense. And this is literal. This is what, how they're writing the laws now. These are the kinds of laws that, that got Ernst Zundel in problems and people that we tend not to care about because we think they're racist. They've been labeled one way or the other. And uh, therefore, you say, well, I don't care about him. He shouldn't be allowed to speak his mind because he's a jerk. And he well might be. But when you take away the right of someone to speak something you don't like, you've taken away your right to speak about a lot of the things that you may like. Mm. And you can't... Freedom is indivisible, you know? Bob, the fact that none of the members of this alliance uh, showed up at the meeting... Uh, that they were invited to by the London Police Service. Is that not suspect to begin with? If I got a letter like that, I wouldn't go. Uh, what I think, would you I do? Think, what I'd, would you do with that letter? Then, I'd, I'd do exactly what they did. I'd make it as public as I could. I'd let the public know, look at what's going on here. Um, you know, I've been around a lot of... Uh, radical political activist, possibly the most notorious one in the London area, was Mark Emery when he was in town here. This is a guy that literally changed laws overnight because of his uh, radical approach to issues. He would break the law. He would send, he would send uh, press releases to the police to come down and, and, and arrest him. He's the only person in Ontario that went to jail, believe it or not, for employing too many people on a Sunday. You know, can you imagine putting someone in jail for that? because it was part of the, the legislation that followed the Sunday closing laws after the raid government dropped them. They tried to replace them with all kinds of other silly little regulations. So if you broke one of the regulations, uh, you could suffer consequences. And, uh, you know, this is the way that you deal with issues that you, where, you're, where your rights are clearly being violated. We have to understand that in, to keep a country free, it's the government that has to be kept in control. It's the citizen that has to be protected from his government and know what his protections are and that the government should not be telling people what to think, how to think, when to think. Uh, um, we are very much in an in a, in a increasingly state-controlled society, and people generally accept it because they think they're getting a good deal, like free medicine, free education, and, you know, these kinds of things. But you get what you pay for.
Yeah. You're listening to Left, Right, and Center, 643-1290, Star-1290 on the Cantel Network. You're with uh, Bob Metz and Dan Gall this morning, and we're going to take a call. And, Jerry, good morning. You're on the air. Hi, Dan. How are you? Good, Jerry. Uh, Mr. Uh, uh, New Freedom Party there, I, I'm sorry, <laughs> sir. I have to tell you, I despise almost every politician born. I just I think they're all a bunch of crooks, and you use the word jerk. Uh, I think most of them are. Uh, one of the biggest worries and problems I have with them uh, is, isn't it true, set me straight, and please don't say I'll take this under careful consideration and advise you a little bit of our typical political BS answer. Just say yes or no. Uh, is it true that whether it's border control, mayor, prime minister, whatever, is it true that you pay absolutely no income tax whatsoever on your salaries? You mean on, on their salaries? Yours. Or anybody, anybody in border control, mayor's office, prime minister, opposition party, whatever, anybody get paid for political appointment? Is it true that they're tax free? Not necessarily. No. What usually is the case, and it's different in every level of government, is that a portion of their salary may be tax free or allowed for uh, expenses, travel, and things like that. Well, I, I have to declare my expenses. I have to declare everything, and still I pay 51% income tax. Maybe if the political parties, or maybe if the political people started uh, uh, having to pay income tax as per the scale of everyone else, like you get Dan Gall there, a guy who makes 150000 a year, okay, he pays 60% income tax. Okay, well, if you people start getting, making that kind of income tax deduction, maybe the people will be a little more easy with what they spend their money on because they will need to bleed more people. Uh, for this. I, I, I really think that politics should be treated as a company, as a, as a company, not a country, and you should be taxed, and, and everything should be done exactly the same as a regular job you would have. If you don't do your job, your ass is fired. You don't go live in Mexico on $48,000 a year pension. I, uh, and that, that's dumb. You know, I, I get, I get the, the, the gist of what you're going... You're sort of saying that, you know, government should be run like a business. It should. It should. Uh, it is a business, for God's sake. It's no, funny. but that's the problem. It's not a business. It's not just a business. Oh, come on. It is. You build roads. You've got you to hire someone to build no, a road. No, you can have a private company build a road. A government has yes, something the government that... Hires them. A, a government has something that no other institution, including businesses, corporations, new unions, individuals, or anything has. And that, that is... Legal, legal recourse, the right to use force against its citizens and not having to be held accountable to anyone because they are the final arbiter. And that's what makes government different from any other institution in society, and that's why it should never be in the service industry. You know, Mayor Diane Haskett was accused and found guilty before a human rights commission of, of you know, supposedly being prejudiced against the gay community when, in fact, uh, you know, the issue is that she is considered by the government a service provider. You had to and go that's to court to prove that? No, th this, to this was... I, I don't think that's the issue, though. I think she has a right to her personal opinions. Yeah, but she and, doesn't have a right to cram it down the throat of the position she holds. Well, we're not talking about cramming anything anywhere. We're talking about a declaration of, 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 of a gay right week or a gay pride or something like this. Nothing against people doing what they're... they're uh, the, the not everybody thing. gets approved of, to, to have those kinds no, of declarations, right. you, you, you know, so that... Nazi party walking down the street carrying machine guns. I understand that, too. But, but you know, I think what you're trying to say, and if it helps support you, I, I heard this in an old motion picture, Shane, with Alan Ladd. And Van Haffman said to the bad guy, what you're trying to say 
is no one has rights except you. And that's what exactly you think that, that these people that appoint themselves to these positions, they have the rights to tell everyone else they don't have any rights. And that's wrong. And I support you in that opinion. But I really think that government employees, political people voted into office or appointed, should be taxed and paid accordingly and treated the same as Dan the man would be or I would be or anyone else. Jerry, thanks for your call. We're going to move on to another one. And I wouldn't uh, disagree with that. Pardon me? I wouldn't disagree with that. Okay. Let's go to Robert. Robert, welcome to the show. Hi. Hey. Um, I was just uh, wondering if you felt like discussing uh, taxes. Uh, there was a really interesting um, article by Sean Durkin in Monday's paper, and uh, it was entitled, Want to Read Something Really Scary? And it goes on to explain that back in 1961, the uh, total government revenues were $7 billion, and that uh, <clears throat> that's the federal government, and that by this year, the, that $7 billion had ballooned to $181 billion. Um, back in 1961, a teacher that started out teaching made uh, $62 a week. Now, if the uh, wages of that teacher had kept pace with the growth of uh, federal taxes so that, uh, uh, you know, the percentage of increase was the same as our increase in taxes, that that same teacher today, starting out, instead of making $61 a week, would be making $1,600 a week uh, or $80,000 a year. Hmm. Um, also, that uh, the provinces uh, basically back in 61 took in $4.2 billion, and by this year that number had grown to $196 billion, and that works out to a 50-fold uh, 50 increase, so that if you add the provincial and the federal taxes together, the, um, the rate of increase, um, if that was applied to the teacher's salary, instead of the teacher making $61 a week or a uh, little less than $4,000 a year, they'd be starting out at a, at a rate of $160,000 a year. Um, so <clears throat> basically not only has the rate of taxes gone up by at least 50 times, but, but the, also the, the feds are carrying, uh, went from a no-debt situation back in 1961 to a total debt of $576 billion, and uh, the provinces went from virtually no debt to uh, total debts of $246 billion. So, you know, the long and the short of it is uh, there's an old uh, Greek saying that, you know, we have seen the enemy and it is us, mm. but I think that, uh, you know, I think we can, in Canada today, we should be saying, you know, we have seen the enemy and it is our own governments. I mean, they're just voracious. Uh, I was watching the parliamentary channel yesterday and on TV, and it just seems that the, par the politicians that we send, whether it's to the city council, to the provincial government, or to the federal government, that their whole... The whole reason that they're there, the whole reason that they think they're supposed to be there is so that they can rob from Peter to pay Paul, and that their whole job is to distribute money to any kind of special interest group that, that happens to have a particular problem, whether it's the farmers, the fishermen, you know, the, uh, any kind of special interest group. And the politicians stand up in government and say, well, you know, what are you going to do about these guys? And then the, the liberals in power say, well, well, 
we spent so many $10 million here, we spent a billion dollars there. And that's the, if you watch the parliamentary channel, that's what the whole exercise is about. How much, you know, money that they can spend makes, the more money that they can spend on a particular problem, the better they feel about it. And they don't seem to realize that, you know, in order to spend that money, they have to tax it from somebody else first in order to make those payments. So I would, you know, I would like to hear some discussion on that today because I'm sure I'm not the only one that's, that's upset about, you know, having to pay these onerous tax rates. And, and, and yet every day we get, you know, the, the poverty activists and all these kind of people saying that taxpayers never do enough. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Good take, uh, Robert. All Good right. take. Thanks, thanks for your call. You're welcome. You know, Rob brings up a, an interesting point. We, we down at Freedom Party, we get the provincial financial statements that the government gives us from time to time. And uh, they have all these pie charts in it. And you can see one of the pie charts talking about total govern, re, government revenues in Ontario. And uh, the, the spending on health care alone, and that doesn't include a whole bunch of attendant services, is about between 34 and 37 percent of the total budget. And predicted to be the amount of the total budget within 15 years at the current rate mm. of growth. And when you look at the pie and you look at, and, and you know, someone from my perspective who thinks government should be there as an instrument of justice, uh, justice is 3% of the budget. Really? You know, and, and when people say we can't cut back in government, I think, well, no, the only part of government we need is that 3%, maybe 7% on top. <laughs> Yeah, with a few other services. And I didn't see anything that specifically said where they're spending any money for roads. It's all health care, education, and social services. And that's where taxes have grown in, 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 in the past 20 years. Not in the, gro- in the growth of administering better justice, but in, in the growth of, of redistribution industries. You know, you, I mean, Robert makes a great point, and when, I forget the name of the article, I think he titled it, you want to read something scary. I mean, that is scary. When you think about the stats and the figures that, that, that Robert just shared with us. But it's every day and it's all around that you see this happening. And we didn't, never really talked about this. But I'd like to hear your take on it. Is Mike Harris's uh, attempt last week at distributing uh, booklets, Millennium booklets, to the public schools... Um, I forget what, the, what what it was called, but it was, I didn't forget the number. It cost like something like $2.2 million to do this. And they're all being sent right back and going, we don't want these books. If you want to, you know, if you want to <laughs> give us books, how about some new textbooks would be nice. Do they have a point here? They sure do. Uh, that, that the government would want to issue them propaganda instead of educational materials tells you what happens when the government runs the education system in the first place. And, and it's not just even in the propaganda that's direct. There's a lot of propaganda in the educational material they're getting because uh, it's, it's a state-funded school. It's going to teach the kids to, ex- to, to expect much more of the you know, state intervention in their life than, than certainly their parents and great-grandparents would ever have tolerated. Um, I often wonder if the Canada of today would have been the country that our veterans went to fight for if it was like this now. Hmm. You know, because 
to, what are they fighting for? Their right to be taxed to death, to have half their life taken away in taxes alone? Uh, what, how would that make this country that much different from other countries? There, there's this misunderstanding that a totalitarian state is what we see on TV every night with the machine guns out and police standing in the street and shooting people. Uh, those are just minor flare-ups, even in the worst totalitarian states, but those are the things we're constantly seeing in imagery. The totalitarianism arises from a, from a just ever-collecting number of regulations, laws, and, and controls. Like, like Canada is getting to the point where you can't spank your kids. I heard you talking about mm -hmm. that earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that was, that was the ultimate dream of every Soviet citizen at one time, was to have the state completely take over the rearing of the children. And, and you know, that was the ideal of the communist system. And here it is just being snuck through in this country through our court system and bypassing the will of the majority because we've allowed the principle of the state being superior to the voter. Uh, to take over the country, and that's what's happening. We've got to take a break, but we're going to stick with this point. And, Robert, you know, thanks for the call and the take, Robert, because I think it's important. I'm going to stick with that. We've got Tyler online, Rob online as well. If you want to join in, 643-1290, start 1290 on the Cantel Network. You're with Bob Metz on and Dan Gall. It's left, right, and center on 1290 CJBK. Welcome back here with uh, Dan Gall, Bob Metz, and we found out where Marion Boyd is. And she's in Toronto. So she's unavailable to, to be with us. I don't this think morning. she's going to get here. She will not be. Yeah, she won't be uh, with us in the next half hour. So if you're listening to Left, Right, and Center. And thank you for having the radio on. We appreciate it. 1290 CJBK's Left, Right, and Center. And Tyler's on the phone, Rob. So uh, let's go to uh, Tyler. Good morning, Tyler. Hi. Hi. I'm just calling in about a couple of Mr. Metz's comments. Um, I think the youth of the day do see the totalitarian government moving in, in especially in the form of health care and high taxation. We don't want to take on that burden, and we have no political outlets, and that is exactly why the Northern Alliance was formed. So, so are, you, are you from the Northern Alliance? Yes, I am. Yeah. And... and so you agree that basically, so what, where, where would you be looking for answers now? Where, what, what do you see as being some of the solutions? I think the only solutions are to go out there to educate the public and to take whoever we have to to court at the moment. To what? To take whoever we have to to court. Uh, we have to start challenging some of these laws, start challenging some of the decisions, and see what happens from there. Tyler, do you, uh, have you, if you're a member of Northern Alliance, have you been involved in any criminal activity? Absolutely not. Would you refer to yourself as a skinhead? Uh, actually, I've been referred to as somebody who looks like they're out of the 60s on your show, so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. And why didn't you go to the meeting that you were invited to by the London Police Service when you were, were you, were, did you, were you hand-delivered a, uh, a letter? Yes, I uh, hand-delivered three letters, none of which were addressed to me, but all of which were addressed to people who didn't live at my apartment, so I assume one of them was meant for me. And I didn't attend because I saw it as a clear violation of my rights and simply an attempt to entrap us. Okay. Okay, thanks for your take. Thanks for your Thank call, you. Tyler. All the best. And let's go to Rob on the cell. Hey, Rob, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm okay. What's up? Well, uh, I, I didn't want to get off topic a bit, but I heard you talk about the Millennium book. So I was wondering if either, either of you two gentlemen have had a chance to actually see one of these books. 
I haven't seen a book. Have you, have you Rob? As a matter of fact, there's no propaganda in it whatsoever. What is it? What's it all? It's a collection of pictures and poems and stories that, that gives us a page. Okay, Rob, you know what? You're going to have to either call us back. We've got a real bad connect there. Now he's, but what we take you here... Know, that's he's, very interesting. He says there's no propaganda. No, it's pictures and poems, and, you know, he thinks that's not propaganda. You should see some of the, the stuff that was distributed in Nazi Germany as, as the country was becoming fascist. There was a lot of poetry and pictures and feel-good stuff going around. That's what the government's doing, is making everybody feel good. And at a time when they know that, you know, 50 and 60 percent of their, their, their money's being taken from them in taxes... This is the whole, that's the plan. That's how it works. And, and if they can distract you and give you other things to put your mind on so you're not worried so much about what the actual cause of the problem is and get you worried about things like group rights and get one group arguing with another group instead of arguing with the government, which is who they should be arguing with, both of them. So just because it's not uh, pro-Harris and yes, what a great job you're doing, just because it's not that, you still suspect that that consider, would be propaganda. Consider that they spent, I don't know how much money, just to put out poetry and pictures for people. I heard, you know, I heard it was $2.2 million. Well, that's, that's obscene. To take people's money from them that they need to survive on and live on to, to put out, you know, feel-good stuff. In, in, you know? Yeah. Six four three twelve ninety star twelve ninety on the Cantel Network. You're listening to Left, Right, and Center. And we move to Pat. Pat, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good. Morning, I'm doing okay now after getting all this cold, but uh, that isn't the point. Uh, there's a piece in today's paper, if you read it, uh, by Chip Martin. Yeah. About cash coffers and the taxpayers and all that. Yeah. That's quite a write-up they got there. They how much how much they got extra money, and then they're blaming it all on the sewers. But uh, that's the the other thing is uh, the chap was just talking about that. Uh, that Millennium book? Yes. That puts me in mind of the book I used to, ha I had to read when I was in high school. It's called 1984. <laughs> <laughs> You've read that one, did you? Oh, yes. Truth is Lies and Lies, Big Brother's Watching? That's exactly right. And uh, he also bought out, he, they also had a book that the government put out in that, in that book. They talked about a book that the government put out that told, uh, what Big Brother wanted you to, you could turn, you turn in your brother, your sister, or anybody mm -hmm. else to the government to, uh, for tax evasion, anything else like that. That's almost like what they started when they uh, had turned, had got people to turn in people for welfare. Absolutely. That was in that book too, also about the way he's everything. everything since Harris came into power. God, I read that someplace, <laughs> and then it just. Got, and you know, another thing you are talking about them uh, uh, a couple of seconds ago about, uh, what the heck, that's, about them doing one thing. He wants to keep looking east while he's doing something behind your back on the other side of the book. That's right. The other side of the country. Yeah. yeah. Well, keep up the good work, boys, and yeah. you're doing a great wood, and have a good uh, Christmas and um, a reasonably sober New Year. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Pat. <laughs> Do you know... Pat's a very good listener. I mean, he picked up on all our points and commented on each and every one. Yeah, that's true. And but I certainly would recommend that people read the book 1984 if they haven't read it. Or Interestingly enough, though, that was required reading in high school. Yes. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is, though, when you read novels or, or projections of a supposed police state or something like that, they generally paint an image that's not 
always totally consistent with a person's experience. The, the, the telling thing about any totalitarian regime is that it does have the support of a great percentage of people within it. Otherwise, it wouldn't exist. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, I was reading an essay the other day that sort of explained why so much of the world would stand back as Stalin, you know, just exterminated three million people because so many people believe that he was doing it for the greater good. Hmm. You know, if you can kill three million as long as you're doing it for the well-being of three million and, and five hundred thousand, you know. And that's basically the mentality, and that's the mentality that's crept into our government on every level. It's all, all numbers. Nobody cares about whether something's right or wrong anymore. It's all based on need and, and, and a false sense of altruism through government, which are two contradictory things. We've got to take a break. You're listening to Left, Right, and Center with uh, Bob Metz and Dan Gall and you. Uh, give us a call if you have a comment or a take that you'd like to share with us this morning. Left, Right, and Center at 643-1290, star 1290 on the Cantel Network. We'll be back with your calls and Bob Metz on Left, Right, and Center after this on 1290 CJBK. Welcome back. You're listening to Left, Right, and Center on 1290 CJBK. I'm just you chewing. You haven't stopped yet. I'm I'll just chewing Rob's ear off because, you know, and during commercial break, and I don't know about, uh, about you, but if you were listening to the radio at home, at work, or, or in the car, or whatever, and you're listening to the radio and you're hearing us talk about taxes, and I don't know about you, but my sentiment is... What the hell do you do? I mean, here we are, belly aching about taxes. We're belly aching about the federal, provincial, and municipal governments. We're sitting here watching, you know, got on the case with Mike Harris, and we're, we're talking about Michael, and, you know, he got voted in, you know, twice. Premier of Ontario, you love to hate him. He's doing cutbacks. But, you know, since he's been in power, and, and these are things to think about, $2.2 million dollars for these books in the public school system. And you're going, what the hell is that? Like, why? You know? Then you look at uh, the child poverty issue. There is no child poverty. No, it hasn't increased. Well, you've got people saying that it has. Read your numbers. Read your facts. But again, that's, you know, this, this, that's all part of the political battle. And, and nobody trusts either side of, of, of that debate because everybody knows that they're twisting definitions, they're twisting statistics. Each person has his own agenda to, to achieve, so he's going to use those definitions and statistics to support his point of view. But and the, in the whole model, the whole real issue is being avoided, which is basically, you know, everything government does, it has to do one of two ways, either by taking away our freedom or taking away our money doesn't go the other way. There's no other direction. There's no backwards on that. Every time we want the government to do legislation, it's going to chip away at what we assume are our natural rights. And what we have to do is have a moral and intellectual revolution in this country that replaces the whole concept of governments representing one interest versus another and get everybody back to representing simply individual rights. This is the problem. We've defined here's, so many interests as rights. Here's the problem that I see is that you've got you know, Jean Chrétien is your, uh, your prime minister. You've got these other leaders, and you're looking at it and you're going, is anybody, you got Joe Clark. Is he any better than jo Jean Chrétien? Is they, Jean all believe, Chrétien they all believe in the same things. They just believe in slightly different ways of achieving them. And when someone actually believes in something different, they'll do everything they can to, to make it difficult to get that op option out. Let's see if we can get another call in. Craig, good morning. Welcome to the show. You're on the air. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> I'm so... <laughs> I'm just so tired of hearing about this big brother problem that people have. I mean, for example, the um, 
Well, I won't get into that right now. Let me get on to something else first. We blame, we can blame Mike Harris for a lot of things, mm -hmm. and it, I mean, because he's an easy target. But the second we get on about about the economy and how it's booming, of course, that's not his responsibility. That's to do with the American American economy. I mean, it's easy to blame somebody for the things that we don't appreciate right now, but you can't go one way and then reverse on the other side. I mean, I'm sure you, Robert, don't believe that Mike has anything to do with the, the economy the way it's been in the last eight years, the exact same time when the NDP got out of it. I, and it you're right, I don't. I, I think it's something deeper than that. It's it's the root belief in what government should be doing for us. But that's and an it wouldn't matter out, whether easy way for the NDP, the same reason that they even had the, had the guts to run the last two years, two elections ago, was because they could blame it on somebody else. It wasn't their fault that things were so poor, but the second they got out, this, things turn around as they have, and it's mm -hmm. been a remarkable turnaround. I mean, it's just so easy for people to, to blame Mike Harris for things and then not give him credit for the other things. I mean, it doesn't work both uh, ways. I, I usually give blame on specific issues and credit on specific issues. I'm a big supporter of Mike Harris and what he's doing in terms of lowering the provincial income tax rate. He's met his targets. He's going to meet his future targets. He's going to get elected next time again. Uh, I see along, you know, and it's not so much because Mike Harris is doing such a great job. It's because the NDP and Liberals are doing such a lousy one. And he just fill in, he's filling in the vacuum. We, you, you've You've only got one vote, and if you're and you've only got one place you can put it, you're, you really don't have a choice. You can't pick a second option or or anything like that. So you're going to pick the lesser of three evils, even if you think all three of them are evil. What's the what's the alternative? You have to look at alternative options. That was one of the reasons I created a party like like Freedom Party. There's other parties like the Green Party and yeah. and the, the Libertarian Party and even the Communist Party if you're so predisposed. And people have that option now, but they didn't choose them. No, right? those options they don't really have. They're on the ballot, but they're not exercisable because of the way we vote. We vote first past the post. We have a situation where the largest minority wins. That's what happens when you have a two-party system set up to vote, and then you have more than two parties. It can't work any other way. One thing also I'd like to get into, if I can, just for one second. Sure, Craig. Is the, uh, the Big Brother problem. Yep. Um, one thing that I have, I mean, what would you guys think if they put cameras downtown? Say they, whatever reason they want to do it, they put cameras on the street corners downtown. Would that, would Wouldn't you bother me about at all. That, Robert? No, no. Okay. Because, you see, downtown is not my property. Downtown is a public place, and it's effectively owned by the corporation of the City of London. If they want to police it, just like a bank can put cameras in its own property, it can do that. But they must never use these cameras to, uh, you know, I can't really see them being used that way, but, but to arrest people for non-criminal things or going after them because they're having meetings and things like that, you know. That's still the same principle. But I'm not worried about cameras... Uh, in, in public places, as long as they don't put them in, in a private place. What about you, Craig? Does that bother you? Not, well, not at all. And I hear we've had these discussions before about, and the people who are worried about Big Brother are all up in arms when we even mention them, even the cameras on the, uh, for the stoplight. But if you're, as far as I'm concerned, they can watch me anytime they want. I don't care where they put the cameras, as long as they're not in my personal property. Well, well my, I don't do anything wrong. My concern with cameras at stoplights, and I'm kind of have a mixed view on this, is not so much one of Big Brother or security, but one of injustice. That, you know, the wrong person might be driving your car, and you're getting the ticket. You know, I don't. I do not like the idea of holding someone else potentially responsible for something when it wasn't their act and, and it was sort of a secondary thing. So that, that would be my only objection there. Yeah, the, um, 
Yeah, I agree with that, too. Craig, we're going to try to squeeze in another call, but we appreciate your comments. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And let's go to Jim. Jim, hello. Welcome to the show. Good morning. This is uh, Center and Wright. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Dan, you, uh, I agree with, uh, with Bob. Uh, the last 25, 30 years, we've seen Canada change so much, and I'm reminded of Joe Alexander's book, uh, the rape and seduction of Canada over the last 30 years. Well, that's Joe Armstrong. Joe Armstrong. Sorry, yeah. what did I say? Joe Alexander. Yeah. Joe Armstrong. Thanks, Bob. Um, uh, uh, William Gardner in his book. Uh, you asked Dan, "What can you do, Dan?" Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. I challenge you, Dan, to ask your callers. How? Well, maybe on um, talk of the town, it might be a little different because it tends to be a little political action uh, show, and I appreciate that. But I talk to citizens all the time. Oh, why, 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 why? Have you written your MP? Nope. Have you written MPP? Nope. What have you done? Nothing. And you want to know something, Dan? Ottawa knows that. Mm. They want worms. They don't want butterflies. They don't want the average citizen to metamorphose, like, like Bob says. We need to return back to, to a fundamental moral evaluation of what kind of country we want. And Ottawa knows that. So they want worms that they can step and crush on. They don't want butterflies that are free that think. And what can you do? You can write your MP. You can write your MPP. You can write the local free press. You can participate in radio and call-in shows. Every time you send your tax bill in, send a letter along. Call your counselor. If 10% if of Canadians were to call Jean Cretchen today, just 10 lousy, stinking percent, 3 million Canadians, that big sucking sound you hear would be Cretchen having a cardiac. Mm. But you know what happens? Nobody calls. Nobody writes except us whiners. Uh, you know, and do you know why the Canadian crossed the road, Don, Dan? Mm -hmm. You know why he crossed the road? Why? To get to the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our problem. And, and Jimmy's, Jimmy's prone to do this. And I don't, I don't agree with everything uh, that Jim Chapman says, but I do agree with this. Write your MP. Write your MPP. Call the mayor. If you don't agree with it, get involved. I mean, it's the story of the starfish, and Bob may know this. You know, what, what can only one vote do? Well, it can do a lot when we're a group, and we need a fundamental moral decision to sit back and say, what kind of country do we want? The Prime Minister, he's smart. I, I don't, well, Jim, I don't Jim, accuse Jim, him of being stupid. You, you, you just made a point there. You, yeah. know, you know, I think a lot of what you're putting off as cynicism and everything on the voter isn't really that. I think it's largely experience, and I think you're, oh, yeah, you're, I agree, I think you're a little romantic Guys, about what one vote and what, what one letter can do. Jim, listen... Uh, Listen, I thank you for your call, Jim. We've got to go because we've run out of time. We'll be back right after this in 1290 CJBK. And welcome back. And I want to thank you all for, for your takes this morning and your calls and for listening to Left, Right, and Center in 1290 CJBK. Bob Metz, thank you. Last word? Um, well, I, I guess we've just about covered everything today. I think that, you know, if people worry about what one person can do. Uh, let me tell you something. There's always one person that does it all. I mean, it's every great stride that's ever been made has been made by one person, and the rest of us just ride on the coattail. But so, I, I do agree with Jim, though. You've got to be proactive about it. Write your MP, you write do. your MPP, get active. But be careful not to do the right, wrong things, because you get burned out and you'll start thinking that action isn't, isn't the answer. All right, Bob Metz, thank you for joining us on Left, Right, and Center. We look forward to having our Christmas special next Wednesday with you. I'm Dan Gall, and we have the 12 o'clock news coming up next. And Bud Polhill from Polhill Automotive joins us at 1230 for Ask the Experts right here on 1290 CJBK.